Hi, I'm Scott Cooper, and welcome to the Tales from the Trail podcast by Matchplay. In this episode, I'm joined by three fantastic guests. Chris Norris is the head coach of William & Mary Men's Soccer, and with him are two of his former players, Josh West and Chris Alpiston. Josh West is an assistant coach of men's soccer at Villanova University and brings great insight to the current college soccer landscape. Chris Alpiston graduated from William & Mary and went to, on to law school and is currently a practicing attorney. What is relevant to this podcast is that he is also a prominent player on the U.S. men's national sand soccer team. Chris competes around the world and discusses how he got there and provides a great example of one of the many routes to continue playing at a high level. Make sure you check out U.S. sand soccer matches. They're available on YouTube and are usually from places that have palm trees. If you're enjoying the podcast and find it valuable, please consider visiting buymeacoffee.com matchplay. These small donations collectively help offset costs and other expenses associated with production of the podcast, so I can continue to offer this service for free. Please take an extra minute to rate and review the podcast where you listen. This is a huge help. Share the podcast with whomever you think would be interested and will help in their process. Check us out on social media as well. The links can be found at matchplayrecruit.com. We are uh, Tales from the Trail podcast. Um, got uh, from on my screen. I see Chris Norris first, who's the head men's soccer coach at the College of William and Mary in Williamsburg, Virginia. And I see uh, Chris Alveston, who is um, a graduate of William and Mary. Um, played soccer there with. Uh, well, I don't want to jump yet. Uh, so. He is um, also an attorney down in Virginia Beach, but the reason why he's on the podcast, um, not that we need legal advice, but we want to hear about his uh, professional sand soccer career and representing the United States um, on that side. And uh, last but not least, we have uh, one of his old teammates, Josh West, who's been on before, um, currently an assistant at Villanova and a club coach at Delco up in Philly. So, uh, Josh, take us away, man. Yeah, thanks, Scott. Um, so we were kind of talking off air just now, and I, I think it'll be a good way to start. Um, and Scott alluded to it with the sand soccer, but for those listeners or people that aren't into the scene, explain to us what that summer in Virginia Beach looks like when sand soccer starts and kind of – I mean, I'm sure you played it growing up all throughout your youth career. It kind of seems like the thing to do, fun thing to do with your teammates. But how did that then, you know, translate to now where you're representing our country and you're going off and you're touring and jet setting the world? And just what, what does that evolution look like for you going all the way back? Yeah. Well, first of all, guys, thanks for having me. Um, sand soccer in Virginia Beach is... Um, kind of a one weekend sort of deal, at least it was when I was growing up. Um, the North American Sand Soccer Championships that are down here at the beach is the largest in terms of sheer number of players, not just professional players, but kids as well. It's the largest sand soccer tournament in the world and um, brings people from all over the world um, to play. And it just happened this past weekend. Um, like you said, I've Growing up in Virginia Beach, I played in it when I was younger, uh, played, you know, in the younger kids divisions and those sorts of things, played pretty much up until I went to uh, play soccer for Coach Norris at William & Mary. I 
did not play during the four years that I was playing uh, soccer for uh, Wayman Mary because I didn't want to get injured. Um, it's and soccer is a pretty good way to break a toe or two here and there. And um, so I took a break during those four years. But yeah, other than that, you know, growing up, I, I played in the tournament here and, and that was pretty much, you know, that was pretty much uh, the only sand soccer that I played. Um, after I got done at William & Mary, one of my, uh, Neil Harrison, who actually played at William & Mary as well, Josh, you know him and Coach Norris uh, knows him. He was playing on one of the pro division teams down here. And he asked me to play with him. This was back in 2018. And um, we played against what was called the red, white, and blue team, which I had no idea who they were. Turns out they were a team of, of U.S. national sand soccer players and um, ended up playing against them. And then a couple weeks later, got a call from uh, the U.S. national sand soccer coach. And he invited me out to California to train with them. And and, uh, you know, the rest is history. At that point, I had no idea there was a U.S. national sand soccer team, as probably many of the listeners. Um, and I really didn't know much about the sport. You know, I was still a grass player at that point. I, at least I considered myself a grass player. I'd still dribbled the ball on the sand and tried to use my athleticism and those sorts of things. It wasn't, the you know, the pretty sand soccer that I've I've come to uh, to learn about. So that's kind of how it all started. Yeah, that's cool, man. Um, and did you you dabbled a little bit with the foot volley scene too? Neil got you into that a little bit. Yeah, he did. I, that was not something I was particularly great at. Um, my uh, technically, I've never been the best player. Coach Norris can obviously attest to that. That I relied more so on my speed than my uh, my technical ability. And so, you know, foot volley is mainly just you know chesting the ball in the air and using your feet and getting it over the net it's you know a combination of soccer and and uh volleyball so for me the the beach soccer stuff where i could use my speed and and those sorts of things was was more my scene call it playing on the sand you said you're a grass player so now you're a sand player is that is that the terminology so that we can appropriately use the verbiage that you're used to? Or? Yeah, I mean, a lot of people say when they first come out onto the beach that they're still grass players, and I think what they mean by that is they don't, you know, the first thought isn't getting the ball up in the air, which is, you know, what a lot of the good uh, beach soccer players and teams do is try and play in the air and keep it off of the sand because the sand makes it, um, you know, quite variable and you don't really know where the ball is going to go half the time. So if you keep it up in the air, it's um it's more predictable and so when people um start on the sand they they still consider themselves grass players because they they don't they're not playing in the air so i've learned to play in the air i still you know every once in a while i'll still put on the sand and try and run past people but i'm learning seen some youtube highlights of you using that left peg running that's all i've got that's all i've got if you ask my younger the norm <laughs> if you ask my younger brother he would say that my left foot is the only thing that's gotten me to where I am today. <laughs> right foot is for standing on you, sir. Well, a thing that I thought about when kind of thinking about you coming on the podcast was you played, obviously we talked about sand soccer, so you had that going on when you were younger, but you played for a local club team down there, Beach FC, right? Um, and you also played for a very good high school club team. Um, and I think something we've talked about in the past on the podcast or with other people that Scott has had is the way that kind of the MLS next is 
moving and how DA was where it's a full time. They're not doing high school. They're, they're committed to club. How do you think your high school career helped you um, or maybe didn't if you could go back? Because you guys won multiple state championships, if I'm right. And, I mean, starting 11, a couple UVA kids, Virginia Tech kids, William & Mary guys. Like, it's a really good level. And I don't know, I might be speaking out of turn here, but I don't know if that's the norm anymore. And I think if you guys were to go back, you'd probably choose high school all over again. You know, like, can you talk about that experience and, and what you got out of that and kind of maybe a winning mentality or what it takes to be a winner? Sure. Um, yeah, so I got very lucky growing up. I had a group of friends who uh, we played on the same, same club team since I was 10 years old. Uh, Beach FC, as you mentioned, uh, Beach FC Fire. We were successful when we were, you know, 10, 11, 12, 13 years old. And we had a core group of guys and we just so happened to go to the same middle school and high school together as well. So it was just you know, there were five or six of us that stuck together through all of that. And um, it made a big difference, obviously, in, in high school. You know, high school soccer, at least around Virginia Beach, is um, not the highest level. I think that, you know, club soccer, even back then, um, and I'll be honest, I don't know too much about how it all works now because I'm kind of removed from it. But I do think that, um, you know, club soccer was certainly where you saw Coach Norris and other coaches on the sidelines. I don't think uh, at that point uh, I didn't see too many of them at the high school games, but just, you know, the high school experience itself, you know, we did win a couple state championships with Cox and um, just the, you know, to see all your friends from high school up in the stands, you know, they're not coming out to the club soccer games and those sorts of things. So it's a, it's a different experience to have um, people who you go to school with and, and to walk into school the next Monday after you've won a, state championship is a feeling that, you know, you're not going to get club soccer wise. Um, but, you know, like I said, I don't know too much about how the, the club scene is going these days, but certainly, um, you know, getting in front of college coaches is, is, you know, the most important thing. Have you gone to any, do you go to any uh, high school games, Coach Norris? To recruit, or you kind of go because like you're supporting a friend or a buddy. But have you used it as a, a recruiting tool? Yeah, but it's very specific. You know, mm. I, I think the even if you're not talking about quality, um, when you talk about efficiency, it's not efficient at all to go watch one-off high school games compared to going to a big youth tournament where you can see you know a hundred teams or a couple hundred teams in one setting yep. over a few days. So, you know, it's just not that efficient. I've been to games very recently, last couple of weeks. You know, in Virginia, we have just finished up the the state playoffs. So the last few weeks have been, you know, regional and state playoffs. And I've gone to some of those games when I know there's going to be some kids who I'm interested in playing. Um, and I know that the games are going to be probably fairly competitive as well. Yep. <laughs> Yeah, so for the listeners, would you would you advise? Would you not advise? I mean, if they're playing in a regional or a state championship and it's pretty local and you have time, it's a worthwhile email. Kind of give their credentials and or or do you not put too much stock in, hey, I'm I'm competing for this or that versus those club scenes? Like do you find value in the recruiting? Or like you mentioned, you're going and you're watching a kid, you've seen him play probably at a national event. This is just another point or another data collection for you where 
it is a different environment. Maybe it's not as silky with the play. It's more physical. It's more direct. How do they play in that level? Does their game translate when it becomes more transition-based? Um, at least those were the things that I would probably take away from it. Yeah, I mean, I'll be honest. There were the, the only kids that uh, contacted me and told me that they were going to be playing in those games are kids that play for me on a club team you know, um, cause yeah. I coach club soccer as well. And I, I am having discussions with some of those guys about the recruiting process, not just because I have some interest in them for William and Mary, but also because I'm, uh, close with them and I'm trying to help them find the right fit. And so most of, of me going to those games was, it was sort of, you know, watching kids that I've, I've coached and helped develop or I'm still coaching. Um, and trying to help them kind of navigate the process. But, you know, the level, generally speaking, as as uh, Chris mentioned, is not quite as high as what we would see in most club games. You know, I mean, if I think back to his Cox teams, watching them play was, was good, you know, and you could learn a lot. Yep. Now, most teams that they played against didn't have the same number of high-level players that they had. And that's what I find in, in most of the high school games now. But – um, you know, Chris touched on some really important things. Like I think there's value in representing your school. You know, you're going to, if you play college soccer, you're going to have to do that. You're going to have to know what that feels like. It's not just about you and the, you know, 16 or 17 other guys that are playing on your club team. Um, you're actually representing your school, you know, it, on the flip side of what Chris mentioned, you know, it's a great feeling to go in after winning a state championship to high school the next day and have everybody on, Hey, great job. But had you lost those games, you know, you have to face that as well, you know? So, um, and I think that's, that, that's a good lesson. I have also seen with my youth players, like for example, you know, I, I might have a guy who's a right back for me on my youth team and he goes into his high school team and all of a sudden he's no longer a role player. He's the most important guy on the team. And he's playing in midfield, which is going to stretch his his skill set a little bit. Um, and when we get those guys back, uh, we sometimes find that they're a lot more confident, that they now can do some different things that they weren't really comfortable doing before because they've been asked to do something a little bit different. And, you know, that can be a good thing. The challenge, I think, for us in Virginia with, with some of that is that they play a lot of games. There's some overuse issues there. Um, but there are a lot of positives to it. Yeah, definitely. Well, Chris, take us back a little bit. So we kind of jumped forward and talked about your accolades and what you're doing now, lawyer and representing the, the red, white, and blue now. Um, but we'll talk about your recruiting process a little bit um, with Coach Norris here and Growing up in Virginia Beach, like you said, good high school, good club teams, kind of where were you thinking? Obviously, being a lawyer now, academics were probably a piece that you factored into your decision. Um, did you want to stay close to the beach? Did you want to go away? Kind of just talk uh, talk that through for the listeners and uh, to recap for us, if you wouldn't mind. Sure. I'll try and uh, remember what happened back then. It seems so long ago now. Um, I... Yeah, I, I think that, you know, like I said, we had a, a good high school team and we had a good club team who was going, you know, our club team was going to, you know, at that point, the big tournaments were Jefferson Cup around here and, you know, in Richmond, we were going down to play Castle down in North Carolina and playing 
um, you know, the state cups and those sorts of things. I think those were the tournaments where you saw the most um, coaches on the sidelines. And that was, you know, your time to, to get noticed. I do think that, you know, on a, at least my take on it was, you know, on a team where there were so many good players and, you know, I was not the best player on our, on our, you know, club team growing up. I felt like, you know, when there's so many good players, it's, it's sure you get in front of coaches, but it may even be harder to get noticed because there are so many other good players that are playing with you at the same time. Um, You're getting in front of them. But, and for me, you know, I, I felt like I was a bit of a late bloomer kind of, um, you know, going through puberty and all of those things. So like when I was 10, 12 years old, I was one of the better players on the team. Uh, felt like I was, you know, a star scoring a bunch of goals and then went through like kind of the 13, 14, 15, even 16 age groups where, you know, guys were going through puberty at different times. And I felt like I was kind of being left behind. I moved from, you know, forward where I was scoring all the goals and I got moved to left back. And I was like, shell-shocked you know I'm sure my parents can attest to what I was going through at that time and and I was you know beside myself because I was you know I wasn't the star player on the team anymore and but in hindsight looking back now you know I think that was a uh, something that really helped me and I tell you know parents who ask me about you know their kids struggling with playing a new position um, you know I tell them how important it is to play all of these different positions and I think that you know playing defender um, in those years leading up to, you know, being recruited by Coach Norris helped me because when I got to William Mary and he said, you know, you're not a defender. Uh, I think you're actually, you know, you should be playing on the wing or, or something like that. You know, I think it helped me because, you know, I knew what it took. At least I thought I knew what it took to defend and, and I knew what I didn't like playing again. So I said, hey, I'm going to try and be, you know, what I didn't like to defend, which was, you know, be um, – aggressive every time I got the ball trying to go at people and those sorts of things um you know the recruiting process for me I think I sent some emails um I was not super familiar with how to get seen you know I was like I'll go to these tournaments and I'll play my best and hopefully a coach notices me and it wasn't necessarily the case right away you know it took um it took sending some emails and quite frankly you know I think Coach Norris saw me maybe at a tournament in Williamsburg. I think we were playing in a state. We might have actually been playing against your team. I remember playing against um, you guys in a state semifinal or final in Williamsburg, and and uh, I think we might have lost that game. And um, I was playing left back at the time, and I remember seeing Coach Norris for the first time, and, and um, I don't remember exactly what happened, but as soon as I got – um, some correspondence from from William and Mary and started looking into the school I you know the academics and the and the history behind the soccer team really made me um, interested in going there sound about right coach yeah my recollection is uh, Arlington versus Beach State Cup final striker Park 1-0 okay. Josh with the game winner Um. Which Alveston, when when we first when we did our last podcast, Josh and I together, I was saying that sometimes you know you just see a guy when he's like playing the best soccer of his life, and that's kind of how we ended up with Josh. <laughs> yeah. Well, let me let me interject. Uh, it was two zero, and Josh had you had two. I'm sorry, but anyways, got most of it right. 
<laughs> I do remember that. Yeah, Stryker Park does sound right now. For some reason, I was thinking it was at uh, in Williamsburg, but yeah, I do yeah, remember. Yeah, no, Stadium Field at Stryker Park. I mean, that was. I mean, it was it. I have a pretty good memory for like recruiting scenarios when I like. I can remember a lot of times the first time I saw a guy or the first time that a guy stood out to me. And uh, I mean, that game in particular, you know, stands out obviously because of you two guys, but also because of the other guys. I mean, that, that was a game with a lot of top players. Um, obviously you guys, um, Chris Dunn, Marcus Luster, Neil Harrison, which are guys that all ended up at William and Mary, but then there were also guys like Kyler Sullivan and Eric Bird and, you know, just a lot of top, top players in that game. So, Yeah, that's funny to think back. It's crazy. It's been, what, that would have been 2010, 2009? Because we were 2011 freshmen. So, holy smokes. I really blocked that one out of the memory. It's going to be hard to sleep at night knowing we let you put two goals past us. I have it on repeat. I put myself to sleep every night, reliving former glory. <laughs> When I wake up in the morning a little sore, that's like, all right. You can and that it. might that might be that might have been the tipping point too, Alveston, where I was like, man, I really want this guy, but I don't really want him to play left back anymore. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> that's fair. I think I remember that. I remember bits and pieces of that game. I think I was much better going forward, putting crosses <laughs> in rather than doing the defending side of it. There's always a place for fast lefties. <laughs> seriously, seriously. Well, Chris, after you were done playing at William & Mary, good four years, um, contributed a lot, both goals and assists, all four years from my memory serves, and especially that junior year where we went on a run. Did you have thoughts and aspirations of being a grass player for a little bit longer, or did you, I mean, we'll, we'll kind of pivot to the law school piece of it, but did you have kind of the pro aspirations? Did you have any interest? Did you go to combines, like? Um, cause I don't know if we've touched on that with any of our other guests, but what was that process like? And, and then I guess, second question to that is then how did you kind of pivot and go, okay, I'm going to try maybe pro at now the academic route. If, if that didn't, you know, if you didn't get any suitors. Yeah. I mean, I think probably most players that make it to division one soccer probably dream of becoming a professional soccer player. And certainly, you know, from the time I was 10 years old, maybe earlier, wanted to be a professional soccer player. Um, thought that that was a real possibility up until probably junior, senior year at William & Mary. Um, I just, you know, I thought maybe I could get to that level. And um, and uh, I think, I don't remember exactly, I know I hinted at it a couple times with Coach Norris, you know, we would have our meetings and and he never told me, yeah, you're not going to play professionally. But he, he you know, kind of hinted at like, you know, maybe it, um, you know, maybe it wasn't the route or or something along those lines. I mean, may, you know, he, he never discouraged me, um, certainly. But um, it's it's hard to to know whether you're good enough for that level um, without, you know, doing it. And I didn't go to any combines. I um I kind of after William and Mary, I thought that um, law school was probably the better route for me. You know, I come from a family of attorneys, and and I uh, talked with them a little bit about it, and um, decided that law school was probably a good route. 
And I, you know, I was happy at that point to play, you know, men's league or to play, um, you know, really any soccer I could get my hands on. You know, I was playing indoor over the summer and playing in the sand soccer tournament and playing um, in any sort of men's league that was that was available, like I said. But um, I I kind of had come to terms with the fact that uh, William Mary was going to be going to be the end of the, you know, uber competitive you know part of my soccer career and um turns out that that wasn't the case but um you know I, I was okay with it and like you said I turned to uh you know a different um going professional a different route which was you know going the, the lawyer side of it um but I'm uh yeah turns out I wasn't done wasn't done yet yeah funny how life works like that um, to give some insight to the, the listeners, and I mean, Coach Norris knows this, but junior and senior year, Chris and I lived together, so I can speak to your habits versus mine off the field. Um, and you were a studious guy, you know, you took care of all the details. You weren't, you were social, but not nearly as social. I think you had a better head on your shoulders at that point. Um, can you kind of talk about how you whether it was something that you were, you know, raised with um, or you were like, you know what, if I'm going to be potentially an attorney or a lawyer and I don't go pro, I know I really need to focus on my studies now. Like, how did you coming into William & Mary, you know, you lived with other guys, then you lived with um, Patrick and Neil. Like, you're not separated from the group. You're always with the group and doing things, but your time management your ability to be like, oh, I have a paper, I have this, I need to go to class, I need to do all the things that are required of me. How did you kind of do that better than some of the rest of us? Like, what did you have any early things that you, you failed and you were like, okay, I really need to get my act together? Or was that kind of always a personality trait of yours? And just how did you juggle the logistics of being a full-time Division One athlete and what comes with that? All, all levels, really. But then also the, the school side of things, at an ac academic institution like William and Mary, how did you how did you juggle that? Yeah, I think um, eventually a, a flips uh, a switch flipped um, probably around the same time that uh, I just figured out that I wasn't going to be a professional soccer player. Um, you know, go, growing up through high school, I was uh, hardworking, but I was more hardworking when it came to soccer than school. Always did you know decently well in school. Um, but you know, I wasn't, I wasn't the valedictorian or anything. Um, I did, you know, well enough to luckily get into William and Mary, but, um, and I, you know, did all my homework, but I never went the extra, the extra mile when it came to the schoolwork up until probably, you know, junior beginning of junior year, end of sophomore year at William and Mary. I think I actually sat down with coach Norris and we were talking about, you know, he always sits down with us and talks about how we're doing in school. And, you know, because he's a he's a coach who doesn't just care about the soccer side of things. He actually cares about, you know, creating good people and good young men that are going to come out and do good things, um, which, you know, I've, I've heard through the grapevines is not the case in all in all um, situations. But he. Um, he he sat down with me and told me what my grades were and I was like man I really could probably bump those up a little bit and I decided that I was going to put a lot of focus towards towards studying and um you know living with Neil as you mentioned he was somebody I've grown up with since we were 10 years old he was 
one of the smartest people in every room he went into, but he was also one of the hardest working people. Um, when I lived with him, you know, he'd be like, I'm going to study. I was like, cool. I'm going over to hang out with Josh, you know, and so I think that, you know, eventually some of him, you know, some of that rubbed off on me and I started really, you know, putting my nose to the grindstone and saying, I need to, I need to figure out what I'm going to do after this. And I just, I hit the books. I mean, you, you were probably like, man, this guy's pretty boring to live with. Cause I was, I was really trying to do well those last couple of years and it, it paid off, you know, hard work for, for us paid off in soccer. And then, you know, I, I think it paid off in, and, um, you know, getting a degree from William Mary as well. Um, but yeah, just say, you know, eventually I, I think, um, that switch just flipped a little bit for me. Yeah, I can remember like you were talking about with Neil. I think I did that a, a fair bit where you were like, yeah, or even little things. Like I think another thing that you did well to toot your horn a little bit is like you would spend time, you would go lift early on or you'd go for a run, come back, we'd do your breakfast or whatever, and I'd be waking up, you know, and then you'd go and study or you'd go in your room and work on a paper or something and I'd be on the Xbox. Like you just did a good job of kind of portioning out your day where – you had your social life, you had your hard work, you hit the books, whatever that looked like. But there was never a point where you just put all your bags and all your eggs, excuse me, into that one basket. Like if we wanted to go play small sided and it worked in the schedule and you didn't have other stuff, then, you know, you'd obviously be there as well. And like you mentioned, that hard work and diligence over the period of time that you were there and beyond has obviously served you really well. So I think that's something that when I came in, and talking with some of the other guys like we had on the other day, Michael Tiemann, like finding that balance and juggling that is something that all, you know, collegiate athletes are going to have to deal with and live with. And depending on the structure that you came to, came into, the support that you have at your, at your university or college, those things are definitely um, <laughs> things to learn and grow in so that you, you learn those lessons early on. It's going to help you throughout your four years. You know, some of us, late bloomers in that, I suppose to say, but um, I think the earlier you can and you can, you can work on your time management, it's just going to lead you on a better path for whatever you do go pro in. Like yeah, I think part of it is just making the decision on your own to, to do it, you know, same thing you do with, with whatever, you know, with soccer, everybody, you know, most people probably listening are, you know, trying to get recruited or, you know, big soccer players and, you know, you put the work in there, you just have to make the decision to put the work in elsewhere and, and know that it'll pay off because it, you know, it does, it does eventually pay off. So you get done playing at William and Mary, and then did you know right away that you were going to study and try and go to, go to law school? Or was there a year or two there where you're kind of trying to figure out life and, um, Talk about that of, you know, the pivot from playing to then going to the University of Richmond um, and doing law school yeah, there. Yeah, so I knew that I wanted to go straight to law school, um, but I I guess I waited a little bit too long to take the LSAT um, to get into law school right after William Mary. So I actually did take a gap year um, and I focused on, you know, studying for the LSAT and also making some money on the side so that I would, you know, be able to to pay for um, wherever I ended up going to law school and uh, ended up driving for Uber. This was back when Uber kind of first started and um, it was not something I ever saw myself doing, but it was actually, it was actually really, 
entertaining and um the you know the time to make the most money with uber was late at night so i would go down to the to the beach you know down here in virginia beach and pick up all these uh people that had been out drinking all night and and have to conversate with them and you know i think it it helped me being able to talk with people and um kind of you know i've always kind of been at least i always considered myself to be somewhat introverted and so to um to do something like that kind of took me out of my shell a little bit and forced me to, you know, interact with people who maybe I, you know, wouldn't have wanted to interact with, um, uh, you know, at other times. So it was something that was good, but yeah, so I, I really just studied during that year, worked and, um, probably played a little soccer. Um, but I can't, can't fully remember. Sounds about right. Yeah. I think, because then you went to law school, passed it, and now you're working back in Virginia Beach, right? Yeah, yeah. I work in Norfolk. I live in Virginia Beach, but um, yeah, we we have a family firm, and I uh, work with both my parents and my my brothers now a lawyer as well. So it's uh, it's quite the family affair. Don't come to our Thanksgiving dinners; it's a lot of hard. Yeah. <laughs> Ryan joined the crew. That's awesome. Um, for the listeners, I mean, I think in previous podcasts and, and going forward, we've all touched on some semblance of this next idea that I'm going to say, but how did playing sports or being a part of a group bigger than yourself impact your ability to then be like, what values did you take out of that team setting, the commitment, the work ethic, all that to now where you're putting that into place where you see that you have a different view on things perhaps than some other coworkers um, or just people you interact with. Like how did sports impact and or change for um some of the things that you do the way you act uh how you go about certain situations in your life when you hit adversity what lessons did you take away from kind of that team yeah, game i think probably the biggest one is it taught me how to fail um i you know as as athletes every all of us are very competitive and i can be sometimes too competitive um over the course of of my you know soccer playing career and and um, certainly transitioning to be a lawyer, um, you know, there are going to be losses in life. There's going to be losses in, in work. There's going to be losses in, in whatever sport you play. And having to deal with losing um, was probably the most important lesson that I learned through sports. And it's helped me, you know, being a lawyer, I've, I've gone in as a young lawyer and thought that I was going to win the case and the judge rules against me. And I, you know could walk out and, and, you know, be upset, but I'm, you know, sit there and I'm respectful and, you know, I talk with the judge and, you know, go back and try and understand why I lost or something along those lines. And, you know, I think communication too, you know, as a group of athletes, you have to talk with each other. You have to work through disagreements, work through any problems that you have. Um, and, you know, I think that, uh, playing in a, in a, you know, playing soccer growing up, I think, you know, taught me how to communicate with, with, uh, coworkers and, and certainly opposing lawyers now. Um, you know, it's something where we have disagreements all the time, but you, you figure out a way to talk through it kind of like we did, you know, I'm sure me and you had plenty of disagreements on the soccer field, you know, Chris, why didn't you pass me that ball or something along those lines? And, and, um, you know, we had to work through that and, and, you know, it's kind of like those problems exist on the soccer field. But then as soon as we went back to, you know, our apartment, we were 
best friends again. And um, I think that's something that sports does well. You know, you, you're in the courtroom, you know, I'm in the courtroom now and opposing counsel is, you know, we're going back and forth as we're supposed to. And then you walk out of the courtroom and, and you can be, you know, colleagues again and, and, and talk about it. Uh, I think that's something that was really important for me to learn. And I'm not sure that I would have learned it uh, if I wasn't playing, um, you know, soccer, you know, playing with Coach Norris and playing with you guys and, and learning those lessons the hard way. Because, you know, quite often you do have to learn those types of things the hard way. Coach Norris, I don't know if you'll agree or disagree with me here, but Chris is coming off very even-keeled, well-mannered. Do you have any funny stories about a young Chris Albiston and referees that maybe doesn't quite go with this trend? Well, I mean, look, we've talked about this before. Um, you know, Chris mentioned they are being sometimes a bit hyper-competitive, and uh, I certainly remember that from the recruiting process. You know, there were people, there were coaches that were a little – hesitant uh with chris just because at times he he got very emotionally invested in games and you know sometimes that could that could come out negatively maybe towards a referee or or an opponent or whatever and you know you that's why in the recruiting process if you think somebody's talent is is big enough then you you do a really deep dive and you try to learn about them as people and you learn where they come from and you talk to as many coaches as you can about them. And if at the end of the day, you think the juice is worth the squeeze, so to speak, then maybe you decide to make him an offer. And that was kind of the process with Chris. He was um, occasionally, you know, volatile. And we knew that he could be a little bit negative at times, but um, we knew that it, it, at the heart of it, his values were in, or were right. And um, that we would help him try to keep maturing and dealing with adversity in better ways. And, you know, Felt like he would be a great addition to our program, and he was. So, yep. No, I. Sorry to kind of throw you under the bus there, Chris. Um, we've <laughs> talked about my my shortcomings, but I think that's something valuable for the listeners, um, just because we've talked about it, and uh, Chris Albiston, that is, uh, on the podcast about like those little details that college coaches are looking at when they're going through these recruiting process when you know your team's up a goal down a goal what is the body language how do you react teammate like you said <laughs> I don't pass you the ball and you're in on goal and I shoot it myself there's ways that you interact with your teammates and so you know I think that was a, a good tidbit of also the maturation that you go through during the recruiting process whether you play high school you come back you make the A team you know all of a sudden you go from being the best player to a, a role guy and how do you kind of change your game or how do you let your qualities come out and, and continue to evolve as a human? So we all go through little trends and ups and downs, right? But I think the, like you've talked about, like coach just did there, at the root of it, your competitive nature or your values or your morals are correct and in the right way, you, you know, and the coaches do their deep dive, then as long as you continue to work hard and and work on those little things, it's always going to be in your benefit. Yeah, and we, sure. we made a calculation that, you know, in addition to just the the talent level, in addition to being a fast, left-footed guy who would be aggressive and, and could score goals and make chances for teammates, um, you know, one of the things that, that I thought and I was right about was that in – 
important moments and in big games and in difficult situations, Chris was never going to shy away from the challenge. He was always, he was so competitive that it didn't matter who he was playing against um, or what the circumstances were. He was going to try to do everything he could to, you know, help the team win. And not everybody's like that. Some guys, you know, they hide from the big moments and, and, you know, Chris ran head on into the big moments. So that was sort of what we thought would happen. And, and we were right about it. I appreciate Chris, any take on kind of where that comes from or, you know, has that always been in you or something that we've kind of learned or you had a coach or another player that kind of brought that out of you or give us a little insight into the competitive drive and and what continues to make you be successful. I'm assuming is that, is that drive along with the work ethic and the talent, right? But not settling, continue to push the envelope. Uh, Where do you think you get that from? That's a good question. Um, Certainly my parents are both, you know, super competitive. My mom is, um, you know, she's one of the best lawyers in town and, and she is a, um, a shark as people, uh, lovingly call her. And, um, you know, she doesn't back down saying, you know, what coach Norris is talking about. I think I certainly get that from her. Um, my dad is a bit calmer, but he's also very competitive. Um, and you know, an equally good, uh, lawyer as well. I think, you know, a lot of it probably stems from the competition that my brother and I had growing up just constantly, you know, my parents are, can probably t- talk for days about it, but, you know, we were just constantly fighting, constantly battling, you know, always wanting to be, um, you know, beating the other one at whatever it was. And, and I think we made each other better in that, in that sense. But yeah, I mean, I, I've just kind of always had that inside of me um you know as part of the for the beach for the u.s national beach soccer team recently we had to you know we all sat down on a call and had to talk about kind of what drives us you know what our motivation is and um you know for me it's just i just have this like desire inside to want to be the best at whatever we you know whatever i do um and i don't really know where that comes from um or how to explain it it's just kind of there that as soon as I like you know for example this sand soccer this past weekend we made it to the semifinals and um, we had a semifinal Sunday morning at 8 a.m and I was dead tired beat up my legs could barely move and you know my dad came up to me that that morning he was like you ready to go you ready to go and I was just like oh man I don't know like I don't really want to play and then as soon as that whistle blew it was just like everything, my legs stopped hurting, everything stopped hurting, you know, it was, it was do or die. And, um, you know, wanted to do everything I could for the team to win. I think that, you know, adrenaline probably, uh, kicks in, but I don't know. I just have that, that, yeah, I don't really know how to explain it. It's just a, it's a burning feeling inside of me that if I don't give everything I have, then why am I, you know, why am I out there? What's the point of, what's the point of even going out there if you're not going to, do everything you can for your, you know, for yourself, for your teammates, for your family that's supporting you doing it all. And that, and that's why I keep, that's why I keep doing it. Cause I have this opportunity with the beach soccer team where, you know, everything I've done my whole life, you know, even playing with William A, playing beach FC, playing in high school has led up to this point. And if I don't take full advantage of it, then, you know, what, you know, was it all really worth it back then? You know, might as well do everything a hundred percent. 
Yeah, no, I think that's a great lesson um, for everybody listening. But I think another thing that I don't know if I just took it this way, but you're selling yourself a little short. Like, yes, those are great opportunities, but you had to put a lot of work in too, right? Like when you're talking about going Beach FC recruited, you know, and now I had an opportunity. I played well against this team. It seems like the stars aligned. But all the – can you give us a little backstory or just little things that you might have done? You kind of mentioned it there, battling with your brother constantly for the listeners. Two years younger, also played Division One soccer at Radford, um, <laughs> a little taller than Chris, maybe a little better looking. But um, what, what were all those little things – you know, we talked about your habits with your studying, with your habits, you know, with your time management um, – but all of those things surely, surely, excuse me, right, had a huge impact on your ability to be available and to seize the opportunity, right? So what were some of those things when you were young that you did that set yourselves up for William & Mary? And then, you know, now pivoting where you're not on the grass, you're not just rolling out of bed after being a lawyer all day and going playing sand soccer, right? So how, how do you also juggle that into the mix with your life? And then you know, I give a give the listeners a little insight into kind of how you go about your daily routine to optimize these situations yeah. that you put yourself um, in. Good question. So uh, Ryan's definitely taller than me, but he's certainly not faster. <laughs> um, and I will. Uh, I told him on his wedding day, I was his best man. I was like, if you want to race today, you know, we can race. Like I, I'm ready whenever you're ready, because um, he he thinks he's he's faster, but definitely taller. I'll give him that. Um, yeah, we, we certainly battled a lot growing up and, and played against each other. You know, we would go out in the backyard and just, we had two goals set up on both sides of the yard and it was, it was, uh, you know, pretty narrow and we would just go at each other, you know, all day long kind of playing like one V one and keeper wars and all these different things. Um, you know, and I did a lot on my own, I think I was as good of a player as Ryan was and as into soccer as he was. I think I was always just a little bit more into it than he was. Um, you know, I remember my parents bought one of those little, they probably don't even make them anymore. It's like a, um, uh, square, um, has like elastic on all sides where you kick the ball into it. And it comes back to you. I would spend hours in the backyard just playing with, you know, playing into that, having it come back to me, taking a touch, shooting, dribbling through cones, you know, all those different things. It's crazy to look back on it. Um, you know, my dad always told me, he was like, you have all the tools to be the player you want to be if you just put the work in. And, um, you know, he was a big driving force. And, you know, obviously when we're, you know, 10, 11, 12 years old, we can't see the future. We don't know how important it is to be outworking everybody else. And he was always a big driving force in telling me like, you know, you have to, you have to do more than the other guy. Otherwise, you know, how are you going to be, you know, how are you going to be better than him? And so I spent a lot of time, you know, in the backyard, just playing by myself, dribbling around cones, those sorts of things. And and even to this day, like, yeah, as you mentioned, you know, still doing the beach soccer stuff. And, and as we talked about earlier, it's a different game. Um, you're playing in the air a lot. So I'll go and I'll find a wall. Um, there's actually a shed in my backyard where I go out and I just kick the ball off the shed and try and keep the ball in the air. Um, and I make it part of my routine where, you know, I'm trying to get we have a uh, 
saying on the beach soccer team, you know, if you get 1% better each day, um, then, you know, you're, you're going in the right direction and, and, you know, we're going to be improving quicker than other teams are. So we, you know, we try and do those things to, to get better. And, and, um, if you're not, you know, just going to practice with your teammates or going to, um, you know, games or tournaments, if you're doing the same amount of stuff as other people, then, you know, you're not going to, you're not going to be getting better than them. So you really have to, you know, Eric Bird, we talked about him earlier. Coach Norris mentioned him. He was one of the players on, on my team who ended up going to UVA and that guy worked harder, certainly worked harder than I did. I think he worked harder than anybody. I, um, I knew growing up, um, he, at one point he was going to, he won't mind me telling you this. He was going to stop playing soccer. You know, we were 14, 15 years old and he was just, he was tired of it. He wanted, he was, he had other interests, you know, we were in middle school or whatever it was and, and, you know, started talking with girls and wanted to go do that instead. And, and I was like, listen, man, I can't blame you, you know, but I still love this stuff. And, and he ended up changing his mind and he put his mind straight into soccer he was, you know, I would go and play with him every once in a while, but when I wasn't there, you know, he was still, he was still in his backyard doing everything. And he, he didn't have a left foot growing up. And all of a sudden he, you know, got a left foot and he was hitting the ball as well with his left foot as he was with his right foot. And, um, he became the best player on our team. And, you know, he led us to a couple state championships, both in high school and, um, and on the beach FC team. And, and he's still playing, you know, he's still in the USL, still doing those things. And he's, he's somebody that, you know, when you talk about doing the extra thing when no one's watching, you know, he, he embodied that. And, um, you know, I certainly did that as well, but, um, you know, it just goes to show you that the more you do it, the better you get. And Eric's, you know, you know, certainly we were, getting better at the same time but he was always you know he was that step above me because he put that extra extra bit of work in um and um and it just like I said it, it pays off and it's paid off for him big time yeah no I think that's super valuable for everybody to hear coach you've been the head coach there at William & Mary for a good amount of years now who's been the biggest gym rat that you've had that you can that you can recall where they may be asking for the shed to be unlocked early hours or late, or, you know, you drive by the field and whoop, there they are. And do you have, do you have a few names off the top of the head? Um, well, I mean, look, I have some recency bias here, but we have just kind of graduated a group and they, this group of guys, Alexander Levengood, Deben Wegbo, Nathan Messer, and Alfredo Bostolongo. Alfredo actually will be with us for one more year. But those guys in particular, um, certainly as a group, strike me as really unique because they are probably the most professional group of players that we've had in terms of their preparation and the work that they put in to, to try to get better individually and to try to, to help the team be better. Um Trying to think of other other guys. I mean, you know, guys like Jackson SK, um, William SK. I mean, I know I've known those guys since they were little kids, so I have more of a frame of reference. Like I know the work that those guys put in as youth players to get to the level that they're at. I mean, you know, we've got we've got Chris on here um, representing U.S. Beach Soccer today, and 
William S. Gay just won, you know, the the soccer tournament, million dollar seven v seven, along with Marcel Berry. And William is on the U.S. futsal team, and him and Marcel play indoor soccer professionally. So, um, you know, there are guys like that. Uh, I'm trying to think if there was any any other guys that really stand out as far as that goes. Yeah, I mean, it's it's hard to say. There's definitely – I mean, there are varying degrees. One of the benefits of being at a place like William & Mary is that uh, I get to work with a lot of individuals who are, are high achievers. And, you know, qualities of high achievers basically are that they're usually pretty self-motivated. They usually work pretty hard. Um, they, they're usually willing to put in the time, you know. And, it, it like I said, it varies, but um, – most of the guys are, are pretty hardworking, I would say. Then you hey, have Nora. a few guys that are just, just super talented, but <laughs> hey, don't name any names. <laughs> what about uh, like what were the differentiators when you know there were guys that went on to the MLS that were kind of from your era? You know, were they the types of guys that Josh is referring to, or yeah, I, I will tell you this. Um, we have not had a player that has gone on to play at that level, uh, at the MLS level and had a career that wasn't talented and wasn't hardworking. You know, they had to have both. Um, some were a little bit more professional than others. Maybe some were a little bit more passionate about soccer specifically, but you know, all the guys that, that we've had that have gone on to have significant careers, playing careers in soccer, have all been hardworking. Do you think from a college standpoint or a coaching staff standpoint that there's a way to kind of foster that within the group where you get more people to want to go out and do individual work? Or do you think that's an innate trait that they have? Is that something you're looking for on the recruiting trail when you go out um, or you're doing your due diligence after the fact, after you've identified somebody, you know, like you mentioned, talking with coaches, talking with, you know, people that they associate with, um, yeah, I guess that's the question. Do you think that's something that you look for and that's a specific trend? I mean, I know it is, but do you think that they bring that with them and then they can influence others? Or do you think that's also a college by college cultural thing that they have within their walls? Um, yeah, yeah. Both, I, I mean, I suppose, look, right? I, I vary a little bit on this. I think that there are, there are, like, if you want to be a pro player, for example, like being a pro player, um, Soccer is, becomes your career, okay? Now, we all know that, like, regardless of what your career is, there are things that you absolutely have to do that you probably don't like to do. Um, for most of us, like when we're playing sports, when we're younger, you know, there, get, there becomes a point you've got to do fitness or you've got to do some things that you don't love to do, but – your talent may be good enough that even if you don't work that hard at it, you know, you're still going to be okay. Um, if you, if you're going to have a sustained pro career, you've got to really love that, that aspect of it. You've got to embrace all of that. Um, 
I don't necessarily think that every guy in your program or on your team has to be like that in order to have a really successful team or a good culture or to win things. Um, you know, there are some guys that can, can kind of flip a switch a little bit. It's not the way to try to be certainly, but there are some guys that can compartmentalize the soccer aspect of it. They can show up to lift in the morning and then they can come to training in the afternoon and they can put in work there, but then they can't, they might not think about soccer for the rest of the time. But when the whistle blows, on a Tuesday night or a Saturday night, you know you're getting everything they have. You're getting their best effort. And that can be frustrating for some other guys who are living it. You know, they're breathing soccer all the time and they're thinking about it when they're in class and all that stuff. But not everybody is going to be that way and not everybody has to be that way. Um, I think there are different ways to be really effective. And, you know, you want to have a culture where players are trying to get better but how you get better, I think that there are different ways to do that, for sure. Yeah. I agree. I agree. Scott, you got anything? I got a question, actually, for Chris. Um, just explain, like, what is it? What's your what is being a beach soccer player for the U.S. like? What is like? What are you doing? And and. You know, what's the pinnacle for you guys? Um, you know, we've talked yeah. about it. There's one event in Virginia Beach, but what else are you doing? Yeah. So, um, yeah, the event in Virginia Beach is is like a more of a club side of it. So for the U.S. side, so ever since 2018, um, that's when I started playing with the U.S. team. Um, my first trip was in Hungary. Uh, and then... November of 2018, we went to Dubai for what's called the Intercontinental Beach Soccer Tournament. Um, those were my first two tastes of quote unquote professional or, you know, high level beach soccer. Um, those are both international tournaments. And, um, you know, they were two very different tournaments. Hungary was, um, it was just a four team tournament. We played against Japan, Czech Republic, and Hungary. Japan at that point was and still is one of the best teams in the world. Um, we ended up beating them in my very first U.S. beach soccer game ever. Um, to my own horn, just for one second, I did score uh, a goal in that game with my right foot. If uh, you if you guys can believe it, um, so we ended up beating them four to three, and then we beat Czech Republic and Hungary, and we ended up winning that tournament. Um, so my first taste of the U.S. beach soccer team was winning a tournament well turns out that is not the norm and you know had not been the norm up until very recently um so ever since 2018 and then we went to dubai and you know dubai we played i don't remember exactly who we played against then but it was you know spain iran russia and you know for those who aren't familiar with beach soccer which is most people iran and russia are two of the very best teams in the world spain is always top seven or eight teams um and we got demolished i think we lost to to russia 13 to 1 and and uh iran 12 to 2 i got done with that tournament i was like what are we doing here you know what am i doing and but i loved it you know beach soccer was something that it just is it's such a fun sport and for people who aren't familiar with it it you know check it out because it is you know, go out and just kick a ball in the sand, t play 
play with your bare feet. Um, it's something that is, you know, if you wonder why the Brazilians have such a good touch, it's because they grow up playing with the ball with their feet. You know, my I've played for, I'm 30 years old now, played soccer, as we've talked about all growing up. My touch has never been better than it is now. Um, and I, I truly do um, believe that that's because of, you know, my recent beach soccer stuff and, and having to, you know, control the ball in the air, play with, play with the bare feet. And, um, even when I put the cleats on still and go play outdoor, or play indoor, you know, the, the touch is still there. And, um, so, you know, the beach soccer team, we are under the U S soccer federation. Uh, it is, it is part of the U S soccer federation and they treat us so well. Um, we, we frequently go on trips where there are more staff than players. You know, they're sending doctors, trainers, security, um, you know, coordinators, um, uh, strength and conditioning guys. And they, you know, it is run as a very professional environment. Uh, and Francis Farberoff, who's the head coach, is, you know, his passion for beach soccer is unmatched. Um, it, it's his life. And, um, He's, he's really made the team, you know, over the course of the past five years from when I started, the team is vastly different. Um, the expectations are vastly different than they used to be. And the results are much different. You know, just recently we um, had two tournaments, one in El Salvador, and uh, which was, it was a qualification for the ANOC World Beach Games, which is being held in Bali in August, it's like a mini Olympics. So it's not just beach soccer, it's beach volleyball, surfing, um, you know, any sort of beach and, and water sports. There's like, I think there's 16 or so sports going on there and that's being held in Bali. And we qualified for that. Then we went to the Bahamas for the world cup qualifiers. And, um, and, you know, we won both tournaments. We beat El Salvador in one of them and we beat Mexico in the other who are two of the strongest CONCACAF teams and have been over the course of uh, certainly the last five years and even, you know, even longer than that. Um, and it, it start, it started to feel like that was what was expected. You know, we, and it had, had not felt like that up until that point. So it, you know, the game is really growing even around Virginia beach. You know, we have this Virginia beach tournament, but there's a group of people here who have started beach soccer, Virginia beach. And um, I cannot take any credit for it. It is, um, they're running kids clinics, leagues, um, all these different things. And these kids who are playing for Beach FC and playing for Rush down here, they're coming out here and they're playing in this beach soccer league and they're, you know, touching the ball, they're throwing bicycle kicks, they're doing all these things that um, you see in, in traditional beach soccer. And I really do think it's going to make a big difference for them, you know, as they start to get older and, and um, you know, they go through the recruiting process. Um, you know, I, I wish I would have started playing beach soccer more seriously earlier on, you know, back before I went to college and before I, you know, did all of that. Cause I, I do, I do really believe that it would have made a difference, um, in my playing career and in my abilities. Um, and, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's been quite an experience and, um, to have it, you know, to be able to wear the U.S. soccer crest and play for a team and hear the national anthem, you know, even though it's not the traditional soccer that we all think of, it's it's been a really cool experience. And I, I um, you know, hopefully I can convince some of the listeners to to check out a game or two 
sometimes they're hard to find. Um, but if you check it out, I really do think that, you know, they'll, they'll have a good time watching because there's a lot of goals you can shoot from anywhere and, um, a lot of bicycle kicks, which are, which, you know, make it fun to watch. Hopefully, uh, hopefully I can talk a few people into it. To follow up on that, how often do you guys get together as a team to train? Is it like you do camps prior to these events and you're expected to do stuff on your own? Is it a little more formal than that? Yeah, so we have Um, like a strength and conditioning program that we're expected to do that's set out by a strength and conditioning coach with U.S. soccer. So we have to do that. And then we have to train, you know, on our own or, you know, if we have people that are around us that can train, we have to train during the week. Um, During COVID, it was you know, we would do like Zoom calls and stuff and train that way. Now it's more so, you know, doing it on your own. We do get together before the tournaments. There will be a camp um, beforehand. You know, usually it's down in Fort Lauderdale and we'll train for a few days or, you know, maybe a week and then we'll go to these tournaments. Um, And then there's camps kind of throughout the year, depending on, you know, the budget and, um, and those, you know, other constraints, timing and, and those sorts of things. But yeah, for Bali, um, we we were supposed to have a camp coming up here at the end of this month, but the team for Bali has to be picked um, within the next week or so. So they ended up saying, you know, we'll we'll see uh, see about the camp at a later date. Um, so we'll find out here pretty soon whether I make the make the team. That's another thing, you know. It's it's you you can't get complacent the coach Farberoff does not let you you know you never expect a place on the team you know my mindset is I'll do everything I can to earn a spot on on the team and um, if it happens it happens if it doesn't you know I'll I'll do what I can to get to get back there Um, but he's created a you know a big pool of players where it's a it's a real professional environment where you have to you know prove yourself each time you know there's nothing nothing guaranteeing your spot, which I think is, um, you know, is a good thing. What is, uh, what does the fitness packet look like? You're, you're right there near the beach. So is it like just standard beach running? Like, because it's obviously way different and way harder than just jumping on a trail or running down the sidewalk. If anybody's gone to the beach and has had to chase their umbrella that's flown away, they, they're well-versed in that. But how often – and I guess you're also pretty fortunate that you live right around a big beach, right, in there in Virginia Beach. First question, are a lot of the people on the team living around a coast, or do you have any kind of mid-America people that are just really into the sport? And then the second piece of that is how is that – training or fitness periodization change from kind of Wayman Mary or before to now, you know, more maybe beach soccer specific. And I guess third part, if you use your fitness, then do you think it would have been better, more beneficial because of the intensity or the short bursts or just give us a full, full yeah, picture so, on all those points? Um, just most asked. people on the team are from uh, California or Florida. Uh, those are certainly the two most represented states. We've got a couple guys from Virginia now. There's another guy um, from Virginia who's a goalkeeper who's just recently joined the team. Um, there are a couple that have been up in like New York, New Jersey area, and they don't live next to a beach, so they would go out like on volleyball courts and you know sand volleyball courts, and they'd be training that way. Um, and uh, 
think we had a guy in Michigan who would do the same thing. Um, you know, go out and find sand somewhere, some sort of sand volleyball court. But yeah, most of the most of the guys on the team are are on the coast um, in California and Florida, mainly because that's where you know it's you know obviously there's sand, but it's there's leagues there. It's more popular. I think that you know there's an indoor facility here down here in Virginia Beach that was a it's a volleyball a sand volleyball place, and and um, some of the beach soccer people around here, especially during the winter, utilize it um, all the time. And it's a, it's a great thing. And I'm sure that there are other places around the country that, you know, are available for that too. Um, in terms of the fitness, it's certainly different. Um, obviously it's the cardiovascular fitness, but the, the muscle endurance side of it is, is definitely different. Um, you know, you can't just go run on the sidewalk and, you know, you could, you could be in the best shape of your life running, you know, marathons, but as soon as you get on the sand, your legs are going to be toast. So it's kind of building up that muscular endurance. Um, I do a lot of, you know, for me, I go to a, a local gym here, which does these, these classes. And um, it's a lot of like squat jumps and lunge jumps and, you know, body weight, but like a lot of body weight, um, uh, you know, muscular endurance exercises. And I find that when I am really pushing it hard with those classes, before a camp or before a trip, but that's when I feel like I'm at my best and I feel like I'm, you know, running on top of the sand rather than, you know, digging into it. And, um, I think that, you know, certainly coach Norris probably can attest to this. I was not in the weight room. I was certainly not, I think you were probably the strongest guy on the team in terms of like squats and stuff, Josh, but I just carry around a lot of upper weight. I so remember you every and, day was a little. I know, remember you and like Caleb Thomas you know, squatting the most weight in the weight room. And I was just like the tallest guy on the team and then the squattiest guy on the team, you know. And, uh, <laughs> but I mean, you were, you were much stronger than, than I was. And, um, you know, I didn't, I didn't like doing leg exercises back then. It wasn't something that it's, it's something that I wish I would have taken more seriously. Um, and I think it would have made a big difference in my, I, w- I was fast in a straight line, but like moving side to side and the agility side of it, I think I could have been a lot better. And it's something that I've gotten much better with because I've been forced to with sand soccer and running in the sand, you know, I'll go out, I'll take a ball and I'll take my dog, you know, Maya, who, you know, very well, and I'll just go run up and down the beach, dribbling the ball with, you know, Maya chasing me. And, um, and that, yeah, I think that makes a big difference. I think, you know, even for someone wanting to train for soccer on grass, it would, it would be a good, a good thing to do. Um, because it does build, it's, it builds the cardiovascular side of it, but it also builds the muscular endurance side of it. And the, you know, it strengthens your legs, which, you know, for, if you're wanting to do a couple step overs and cut somebody inside and, and rip a shot, you know, it's, it's better than, you know, just running on concrete. It's, um, it's something that, that will help you. Where can the listeners, you said it might be hard to find a channel. Where could they tune in to watch you play and represent well, Bali? That's a good question. That, something that I do comes. not know the answer to yet. I don't know where Bali tournament will be streamed but uh beachsoccer.com is like the main 
Uh, it's Beach Soccer Worldwide. They have a lot of information on, you know, the largest tournaments and, and they usually post kind of um, once it gets closer where it'll be streamed or, you know, our last tournament, some of the games were on Fox Sports. Um, we we're on FS2 and, and um, I think the final was even on FS1. So uh, it kind of depends on it, but the beachsoccer.com is the best place to kind of find where everything will be located. Cool. Got anything to wrap us up, Scott? Chris, we usually keep these at about like an hour, so it looks like we're just over that. But appreciate you going into depth about the sand soccer day. That's super interesting. I think we're all a little wiser now on the setup as well as, you know, how to be able to, to watch. Um, but then also obviously having you on because the William and Mary connection uh, with Coach Norris and myself and Scott is – as well as just the journey and kind of the recruiting stories and the, the dedication and the time management. I think all of that is super valuable for whatever path that listener or potential recruit goes into. Um, you know, it's a great vessel sports that is and soccer specific for us to get you to perhaps be at a university like the college of William and Mary um, or any of these other top universities Get your foot in the door, do really well, continue to excel, continue to push the envelope, and then, you know, the calling might come back to you, you know, like sand soccer has, or you take those values, you take that time management, you take that work ethic, you put it into something that you've been working hard in, um, like yourself with, you know, law school and, and doing really well there, and then now being able to be an attorney. So just a different viewpoint, I think, for the listeners that, Everyone thinks, like you mentioned, when you're 10-11, we're all going to go pro. We're never going to have to hang the boots up. Um, but then, you know, that day comes for all of us at different times. And so if you if you have the work ethic and you do your due diligence on all those other aspects of life, then it, it opens up opportunities for you to do, have a great life and be a meaningful person in society and another yeah, realm. Thanks so for having me. I appreciate your time, it's man. It's great to see you guys and Coach Norris. It's uh I usually don't get to see you unless I come to an uh, ODU game when you guys are playing. And uh, so it's it's good to see you and, and uh, talk with you a little bit. Yeah, man. It's great to see you. Really cool to, to hear in detail what's been going on. And we're super proud of you, man. Thank you. I appreciate it. I think Scott is uh... – you might just have to trim this at the end. I don't know if you can hear us anymore, but we are finito, good sir. Yeah, my, my connection sucks. So, <laughs> Well, Scott, I, uh, I told Josh, thanks for having me. I, I do appreciate it. It was, uh, it was fun. I, it's my first podcast experience, so hopefully I didn't uh, say anything stupid or do anything uh, – do anything i shouldn't have hey, we can edit it out if you're not happy with something you know <laughs> no, i i think uh, <laughs> no, yeah. your answers were way better than my questions let's just say that yeah, so. I, I did have trouble remembering some of the questions i was like uh what did what was the first part of that again very long-winded you should know i like to hear myself <laughs> yeah, i think talk, we were so in a speaking class old. together i do remember that yeah, that, that obviously was Obviously, Josh took a lot out of that. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's very similar to this. I had a good, I had an idea in my head. It started okay, and then I just kept going and going, and she <laughs> she tried to kick that out of me, but 
if I was a better student like Chris, I maybe would have <laughs> taken those lessons. I was not a good student for the first couple of years, and then I was like, all right, I need to do I need to do something so that I uh, make use of this degree from this university <laughs> or this college. Well, and you were like one of the few guys yeah. that didn't do Canise, right? Like you had an idea in your head, and you you chose not the simple no, path, I did if do. you will. I did not do that Kinesi. it was simple, but you did. Weren't you doing history at the beginning? I did kinesiology because at one point I thought I wanted to, to do physical therapy. And um, and then I went and shadowed a physical therapist and they were working with like 80 and 90 year old people holding loops around them. And I was like, yeah, this isn't for me. <laughs> yeah. So that's amazing. But, yeah. Kinesiology was, I mean, it was mm-hmm. easier, but certainly like anatomy and physiology was rough. Yeah. More just standard tests than papers and reading and having to put all this together. This is cool, though. um, This this would be super important for, like, people who are going through the recruiting process to listen to. um, I don't know how many episodes you guys have done, but I'll pass it along to, uh, I know, I mean, all the Beach FC coaches that I play with. They're all the young guys that used to play at ODU and all that stuff that are coaching 16, 15, 16, 17-year-olds. I think that, you know, I didn't know what the, you know, recruiting process was. I just had no, my dad, you know, my parents didn't know about it. And, and uh, my coaches knew a little bit about it, but not enough. And, um, you know, listening to people actually talk about the process is something that is important. Yeah, I mean, that's the whole reason why I started this was to to provide that insight that uh, most people don't have. I mean, if if I didn't have connections, then the whole recruiting process with my kid would have been, I would have been clueless. Yeah, Scott was, I, I mean, that's Scott was still clueless. clueless so. Scott was still clueless. Thank you for listening to the Tales from the Trail podcast by Matchplay. If you're enjoying the podcast and find it valuable, please consider visiting buymeacoffee.com slash matchplay. These small donations collectively help offset costs and other expenses associated with production of the podcast so I can continue to offer this service for free. Please take an extra minute to rate and review the podcast where you listen. This is a huge help. Share the podcast with whomever you think would be interested and will help in their process. Check us out on matchplayrecruit.com for our social media links. See you on the trail.